Kimitzion Teitzei Torah. This is KMTT, and this is Esubek. Today is Tuesday, Yom Shlishi. Yud Chet Biyar, Lamed Gimel Baomer. Lag Baomer, Halacha Lemaisa, is a day when you don't say Tachnun. It's also a day when the prohibitions of Svirata Omer are suspended. And therefore, it's the barber's holiday. A day when you can take a haircut during Svirata Omer. There was a third halacha once that used to exist. It doesn't exist any longer. When I was a child, you weren't allowed to wear sneakers, sport shoes to, to school, except for one day a year. Like the Omer, you could come to school in sneakers. Today's shiur is by Harav Meishtaragin and is the weekly shiur on essentials of Avodat Hashem. After the shiur, I'll be back with the Halacha Yomit. The next shiur will elaborate upon the mitzvah of tefillah. The second of the three mitzvahs which, which Shimon HaTzadik, one of the final members of the Yanshik and Esos HaGidola, in the early period of the second Mesa Mikdash, the second mitzvah which he noted was a pillar of the world and of religious experience. The mitzvah of tefillah is, of course, a challenging mitzvah. The very famous story, the Talmidim of the Baal Shem Tov, asked their Rebbe, the first Hasidic master, the Baal Shem Tov, how they could discriminate between authentic Hasidic Rebbeim and charlatans or imposters. Evidently, in the first couple generations, or at least in the first generation of Hasidic activity, there were several Hasidic Rebbeim who really weren't authentic, who weren't genuine, who traveled the land offering talisman and charms, and healing powers, rather than religious inspiration and Torah. And the Talmudim of the Baal Shem Tov inquired how, could the, how they could discriminate between the two. The Rebbe, the Baal Shem Tov, responded to his Talmudim that if any Hasidish Rebbe would suggest that he has a foolproof solution to kavana, to davening, to proper focused davening, Anyone who offers a foolproof solution is definitely a faker because a solution doesn't exist. And the Baal Shem Tov was articulating to his Talmidim that part of the success in tefillah is the ongoing struggle, recognizing the difficulty of tefillah in general, particularly the challenges of the modern era in which the concept of space has changed so dramatically and space and geography is crucial to tefillah. I hope to speak about this in next week's Shir Mir Hashem. The modern era in which time is less available, in which our focus is more disrupted, certainly the challenges of tefillah are very, very overwhelming. But as long as a person is aware of the struggle and of the responsibility and mandate to continue to revive his attention towards davening and reinforce his commitment, then perhaps an awareness of the difficulty and of the struggle 
is more than half of the battle, more than half of the success in that battle. The Gemara in Brachos, on Daf Lamed Beis, cites as follows, Tana Rabbanan, Arba Dvarim Tzrichim Chizuk. There are four experiences within religion which require constant reinforcement and to be revisited and to be checked and explored. Ve'eluhein, Torah, Umaisim Tovim, clearly a person's Torah study, as I mentioned in the past two shiurim, must be inspected, must be bolstered on a constant basis, Maisim Tovim, piety, ethics, personal integrity. But the third in that list of religious experiences, aspects of religious performance which must be constantly analyzed and inspected, is tefillah. The Gemara cites the Pasuk, Tefillah Minayin, Shenemar, Kaveh El Hashem, Chazak V'yametz Libecha, the Kaveh El Hashem. And in this context, the term Kaveh El Hashem, which literally means to seek, to wait, to expect, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to yearn for Him, here is seen as a metaphor describing Tefillah. Kaveh El Hashem, to daven, to yearn, pursue HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Chazak V'yametz Libecha, strengthen your resolve, strengthen your conviction, the Kaveh El Hashem. And then once again continue the ongoing odyssey, the ongoing journey towards successful tefillah. These two shiurim will attempt to articulate some of the basics, the foundations of tefillah. The basic kavanos, obviously kavana is a very subjective and personal element. No one person's kavana should or will be similar to another person's kavana. But these shiurim will attempt to explore the basic guidelines and parameters of tefillah. Of course, a famous machlokis exists between the Rambam and the Ramban, whether a mitzvah's essay min demanding tefillah at least once a day exists. According to the Rambam, based on the Gemara in Tainus, Daf Beisim Aleph, the Gemara in Tainus says, "Ezohi avodah What is the worship of the heart? And in this case, not just the worship, but the work, the toil, the literal term of avodah. Have a omer when the Torah writes, Uli Avdo, Bechol of Avchem, or Bechol Nafshechem, second parsha of Kriyashima, Ezohi Avoda Shebelev, the Gemara in Tainus claims, Hevi Omer Zotvila. The Rambam interprets this Gemara literally and suggests that there exists at least on a daily basis a mitzvah essay min to daven. Perhaps the mitzvah does not require davening at a certain time. Davening tefillah can be performed at any stage of the day. Obviously, no particular text is required, aside from texts which incidentally may be included in davening, such as Shemona Esrei and the like, uh, excuse me, such as Birchaz Kriyashva and the like. But a person must daven on a daily basis to fulfill the mitzvah of Avodah Shebelev. The Ramban argues with the, Ram, with the Rambam, claiming that no such mitzvah exists. The Gemara in Tainus, which attempts to derive the experience of davening from the phrase Avodah Shebelev, that Gemara is not affixing the mitzvah to a biblical command or to a pasuk, but rather looking for an asmachta, for just a reference or an allusion in the Torah towards tefillah. But ultimately, there is no mitzvah's essay to daven. The Ramban cites the Gemara in Brachos, which we will elaborate upon in a few moments. The Gemara suggests that Chazal, instituted or legislated tefillah as an extension of karbanos and beis amikdash, tefillos keneget temidim teknun, to capture and symbol the experience of karbanos. 
According to one position in the Gemara in Brachos and Daf Chavav, they were legislated not to sustain the experience of, of Korbanos, but to capture those moments in which the Avos Davin, Dav Mitzchak and Yaakov, Tfilos, Avos Tiknum. Either way, whether Tfilos reflect the Avos or Tfilos reflect Korbanos, the Gemara in Brachos employs the term Tiknum, highlighting, according to the Ramban at least, that there is no biblical source for Tfilah, that Tfilah is merely a rabbinic institution, a Takana Midrabanan, in order to perpetuate one of the aforementioned moments in Jewish history, Karbanos or Avos. Even the Ramban, of course, agrees that there is one predicament, there is one context in which Tvila is mandated at, the, at a Deiraisa level. The Ramban concedes, based on the Psukim in Parshas Baloscha, the Psukim describes that when a national crisis erupts, plague, famine, War al Hatsar Hatsareschem Bariosem the Khatsosos Viniskartan of Neashemelokechem, even the Ramban believes that Tfila be Tsara, praying and supplicating to Akarish Baruch in a time of national crisis of danger, that even the Ramban agrees is Tfila Midaraisa. That would be Tfila mandated at a biblical level. But the daily regimen of Tfila, according to the Ramban, is purely Midrabana. However, Beyond the source of tefillah, whether we acknowledge a biblical source or place it squarely upon rabbinic legislation, what are the themes? What are the contours? What are the emotional imperatives or guidelines of tefillah? I would like to begin by analyzing the Gemara in Brachos Chavav. My analysis is loosely based on some of the writings of Rav Salavechik, Zechah Several of his svarim contain his ideas upon tefillah, and my ideas are merely an elaboration of some of the things I read, authored by the Rav Zatzal. The Gemara in Brachos cites an argument between Rabbi Yossi Reb Chanina and Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi about the original symbolic source of tefillos. Rabbi Yossi claims that the tefillos symbolize the experience of prayer which the Avos initiated, which the Avos launched, Whereas Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi suggests that they are meant to sustain the daily experience of Karbanos Kenegetimidim. The Gemara, as well as the Rishonim, cite various halachic manifestations, halachic consequences of this machlokis. For example, if a person is negligent and omits a tzvila, and the time frame for that tzvila has passed, can he repair, can he offer a tzvila in place to substitute for the missed tefillah, what is known as tashlumen. And certainly the possibility or opportunity for tashlumen may only emerge in the wake of the precedent of korbanos. Korbanos and Beis HaMikdash are an experience which do allow some form of tashlumen. If tefillos emanate from korbanos, perhaps they too allow tashlumen, allow some sort of recovery process, offering an extra tefillah during the ensuing time frame. And of course, this is how we paskin. Whereas conceivably, if tefillos were merely instituted based on the precedent of the Avos, we may not have similar mandate to authorize tashlumen. And the Rishonim cite various other differences, as well as perhaps discriminating between various forms of tefillah. Perhaps tefillas musaf is more closely structured or more closely constructed on the model of korbanos than some of the other tefillos. 
even though I, at a halachic level there may be some discrepancy between tfilos premised on avos or tfilos premised on karbanos, it's clear that at a thematic level the motif of tfila is based on the dual precedent of avos and karbanos. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Hanina, and Rabbi Shur ben Levi merely argue which of these two precedents, which of these two anchors is primary and should dictate halachic categories. But in terms of penetrating the essence of tefillah and illustrating the experience proper, it's undeniable that tefillahs are structured on both the experience of korbanos as well as the experience of others. And the question is, why are there two precedents invoked for tefillah? Why can't tefillah be pitched on one precedent, on one historical experience? Had tefillahs been posited merely as an extension of the prayers of the Avos, we may have reached the following conclusion, a conclusion which perhaps would suffocate our own tefillahs. It's one thing for Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov to interact with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to receive his visitation, his revelation, to sign and to enact covenants, and ultimately to speak to him with human tongue in the form of prayer. These were unparalleled individuals, great spiritual heroes who climbed unattainable spiritual heights, strikingly, without a Torah legislated. Because I'll speak of the Avos as having fulfilled some primordial form of Torah, some primordial form of Halacha. But whatever level of Torah and of Jewish law they adhered to, whatever level of God's word they had received, it was certainly not the extensive, elaborate, comprehensive system of Torah which was legislated and delivered at Harsinai. And yet despite the lack of revelation and of legal legislation, they were able to reach a level of encounter and a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu that was unparalleled. And as a consequence or an extension of that encounter, they spoke, they prayed, they requested, they praised, they shared their emotional inner world with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That does not necessarily authorize prayer for every man, for the common individual. These were surpassing individuals who scaled previously unattained heights. For them, prayer was a natural expression of their daily encounter. What gives us, average, ordinary, blemished, and mortal human beings, the same prerogative to pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Have we reached the level of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov? Had Philos been based solely on the experience of our Avos, it may have remained an elitist experience, reserved only for the salient, accomplished religious personalities. Maybe in each generation a few, maybe a Vilna here and a Rambam there, but certainly not every man. For this reason, Chazal established an alternate precedent, an alternate template for Tfilos, the template of Korbanos. The beginning of Parshas Vayikra employs a very, very intriguing word to launch the description of Karbanos. Adam ki Yaakov mikem Karban Lashem. Suddenly, the reappearance of the term Adam. Typically, 
The Torah employs the term Ish. But Adam? Chazal cite various drashos surrounding the employment of the term Adam. But the common denominator between these drashos is that the term Adam suggests a universalization or democratization of korbanos. That korbanos are offered to every man. Scholar and layman, religious hero, an average ordinary person, and in this case, of course, as the term Adam suggests, even to a Gentile. There are several korbanos which a Gentile is permitted to offer. Korbanos are meant to be a sweeping, collective experience. Obviously, the korbanos of Tamidim themselves contain a sweep in their very essence. These are korbanos tzibor, that are not authored or offered by one particular individual, but are offered to HaKadosh Baruch Hu on behalf of an entire nation, twice daily. Mes Hamikdash itself, the site of Korbanos, serves as a locus for the encounter between an entire nation and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Yom Kippur ceremonies are meant not to offer isolated Korbanos as much as to reinvigorate and cleanse the Beis Hamikdash from the acquired Tumah of yearly entry and perhaps mistaken or unlawful entry. V'chipper ala kodesh, the Torah writes in Parsha Zacharemos. Mi tumos b'nei Yisrael mi pishayem l'chol chatosam. Sprinkling the blood on various segments of the Mikdash. On the Aron HaKodesh or near the Aron HaKodesh, on the Parochas, on the Mizbeach HaPnimi, was meant to address each nook and cranny of the Mikdash and cleanse it from its acquired Tumah. Rather than achieving Kapara, in a direct sense, the Korbanos were meant to, as it were, unclog the, order, the arteries of our relationship with the Kodesh Baruch Hu. And once those arteries are unclogged, then our relationship can continue to pump with life and vitality, and our atonement would be natural. The Mikdash, the Korbanos, are a communal, national experience. And the Torah underscores the national nature and the democratic nature of this experience by launching the section of Korbanos with the term Adam, Subsequently, there will be korbanos that are designated, that are targeted for specific individuals. And indeed, there are korbanos which are reserved for the leadership. Asher nasi yechta, the Kohen Gadol brings special korbanos, a nasi who sins brings a special korban, a melech, based in the greater the responsibility, the greater the stakes, the greater the accountability must be. The Gemara Darshins, Asher Nasi Yechta, Asher Dor, fortunate is a generation, describing the term Asher, or Asher, playing on the term Asher Nasi Yechta and interpreting it to refer to the term Asher. Fortunate is a generation whose leadership acknowledges its faults, begins the penitential process of achieving atonement rather than hiding or denying flaws or miscues. Asher Nasi Yechta. But the experience of Korbanos is primarily a democratic experience, extended to every man. And for this reason, Chazal insisted that Tfilos be modeled not only on the experiences of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, these surpassing men of achievement, but on Korbanos as well, to democratize and extend Tfilah to every man. Having established the role which Korbanos play, what role do the Avos play? Why not merely model Tvila upon Korbanos? It's democratic, it's sweeping, it applies to every man. 
why is there a need for the precedent of the Avos as well? Every day towards the end or towards the beginning of the first section of davening, what we call in general korbanos, which includes much more, we recite a few prakim from the Torah, delineating korbanos, a Mishnah, or a parak of Mishnayos from Zvachim, the fifth parak of Zvachim, a Zehu Mekoman, and what is known as the Brisa de Rabbi Yishmael, a Brisa enumerating the 13 exegetical tools of interpreting the Torah, Kal Vachomer, Klaluprat, etc. This section is meant to capture, to satisfy the requirements suggested by the Gemaran Kiddushin. The Gemaran Kiddushin claims that a person should divide his Torah study into three equal components. A third of the time he should spend studying text, biblical text, a third of the time studying Mishnah, and a third of the time studying Gemara. Liolam Yashlish Adam Shinosaf should divide his Torah study into three. Of course, at a practical level, we don't adhere to this formula for all types of reasons suggested by various Rishonim. But in order to still symbolize this three-part division, as the first section of Davening concludes and we begin Sukkot Zimra, we symbolically recite a few prakim of the Torah, a parak of Mishnah, the fifth parak of Zvachim, and of course, Brisa the Rebbe Yishma, to symbolize Gemara. Brisa is a form of Gemara. Of all the prakim and Shas to select from Mishnayos, why was the fifth parak of Zvachim chosen? Well, it's only appropriate that a parak describing Korbanos be recited. We're trying to mourn the absence of Beis HaMikdash to transform our Tvilos into a pseudo-carbon. But why the fifth parak of Zvachim? The fifth parak of Zvachim is the only parak in Shas which contains absolutely no Machlokis. Machlokis and dispute is the cornerstone of Tarash It's the engine that fuels the process, debate and discourse and elaboration and interaction. And yet, surprisingly, almost mysteriously, the fifth parak of Zvachim contains no recorded machlokas. Why of all the prakim is this a unanimous one? Because when it comes to karbanos and Beis Hamikdash, there is a very little, if any, margin for error. When a person stands in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in front of the Malach Malachim Lachim, and interacts and offers a karban, he has to be careful about how, where, when. Karbanos is a world of structure, of regiment, of discipline. Every karban has a particular location where it should be sacrificed, where the blood, what types of animals. You would think that when a person stands in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, overflowing with emotion, effusing his love and his faith, there should be more room for personal expression, for ad hoc, for ad libbing. And everything is structured. You can't bring any type of animal, shar, kesef, oez, only certain types of animals. You can't shecht where you'd like. You can't sprinkle how much you'd like. It isn't a personalized experience, but rather a regimented, disciplined, and structured one. Why? Perhaps the structure stifles spontaneity and personal expression? The answer is the structure preserves the sanctity of the experience, the integrity of the encounter, and the sense that we're not interacting with a friend or a brother or a spouse, 
but with the Melech Malachim Lachim Akarish Barcho, with the Rabbonah Shalom. Unknowable, transcendent, distant, different than ourselves. The structure and regiment of Korbanos protect the experience of Korbanos against perhaps arrogance, human arrogance, humanization of Akarish Barcho, and violating the necessary boundaries between man and God, Hashemayim, Shemayim, Lashem, the earth, the son of Adam. The experience of Korbanos is one which invites the peril of abdicating the transcendence, the sense of unknowability of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Certainly in a general sense, the section in Torah which best highlights the tragedy of Korbanos and Beis HaMikdash perhaps endangering the very delicate boundaries which HaKadosh Baruch Hu demands, which reflect our acknowledgement of his transcendence, the passage which best captures this is the passage in Parsha Shmini. Nadav and Avir were so thrilled, were so euphoric, on the day in which the Mishkan was erected, in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu Shechina descended, the entire nation witnessed this descent and sung and praised, Vayar Kalam Vayaronu, in their haste, in their joy, in their faith, in their love. They offered a strange sacrifice, Bakuva Mesh a sacrifice which wasn't sanctioned, which wasn't sanctioned, which wasn't legislated. They felt that special moments call for extraordinary korbanos, and they violated the boundaries and they entered inappropriately. Whether they entered inappropriately because the korban wasn't documented or the korban wasn't ordained, whether they entered inappropriately because they were somewhat uh, intoxicated, as Rashi suggests, whether they entered inappropriately because they failed to consult with the appropriate channels of leadership. Either way, all these opinions suggest that there was a haste to lunge into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, to lunge not to the Kodesh HaKadoshim, but into the Mishkan, to celebrate this great day. And the boundaries were violated. The distance, the transcendence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu was compromised. People would get the impression that HaKadosh Baruch Hu can be addressed, can be experienced, Chalila Vachas, as another human being, through our own discretion, through our own judgment. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu punished them severely, and perhaps the punishment didn't match the crime, but a demonstration was necessary. HaKadosh Baruch Hu demanded that his Kedusha be sustained and be preserved. And therefore their lives were taken in a very, very demonstrative fashion. The structure and regiment of Korbanos are necessary to maintain boundaries to maintain the sense of distance and of awe so that our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not descend or deteriorate into a humanized, paganized interaction. Too much Avas Hashem eliminates the true presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Too much Ava, person can run the risk of turning HaKadosh Baruch Hu, transforming him into a human referent, a human concept. Of course, too much Yerashamayim can perhaps eliminate man from the equation. Religion is an encounter between man and God. Too much Ava eliminates the true essence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Too much Yira can eliminate the human presence and the human role and the human voice. And Kormanos are an attempt to maintain that delicate, fragile balance between Yira Hashem and Ava Hashem, a balance which perhaps is endangered the moment a human being enters the house of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. For this reason, Korbanos is so regimented and structured. For this reason, when it comes to the location of Korbanos, where and when and how, there is no margin for error. There cannot be 
too much machlokas. Machlokas was not tolerated. Whether you see machlokas as a deterioration of the Masara, or whether you choose to see machlokas as a creative part of the process of unfurling the Masara, either way, Ezeo Makom on the fifth parak of Zvachim does not admit machlokas. Either no machlokas existed, or Rabbi Yudanasi, when he redacted the Mishnah, chose not to cite machlokas. As an extension of Korbanos, Tfila exhibits the same level of structure, the same discipline. Very often, orthodoxy is accused for being too resistant to change in Tfila. Some of the more modern forms of Judaism have tried to liberalize Tfila by injecting greater personality, greater spontaneity or personal expression, altering the liturgy, altering the timing, altering the very structure of Tfila to allow a more personal, intimate encounter with HaKadosh Baruch And orthodoxy has perennially been accused of a stifling, suffocating regiment, which does not allow for any personal expression. The liturgy remains intact. Structure, the language. Part of our response is, it is precisely that structure and that regiment which maintains the sanctity of tefillah, the integrity of our encounter with HaKadosh Baruch Hu to remain or to retain HaKadosh Baruch Hu's transcendence. Specifically within the experience of tefillah and the approach of man to speak to God, which greatly, greatly imperils this distance. So tefillah, as a stem of korbanos, does exhibit regimentation and structure, does exhibit discipline. However, tefillah should also incorporate a human voice. Within the standardized liturgy, within the regimented structure, within the precise, ordained, inalienable manner of tefillah, each person's tefillah should be animated by his own emotional world, by his inner life. There should be a human voice. No two people should read the brachas of Shimon Asrei the same way, the brachas Kriyashima the same way. They should be galvanized and electrified by the human heart. If tefillos were modeled solely on korbanos, we may not allow, we may not invite that personal element. Tefillah perhaps would be severed from the emotional inner world. Tefillah perhaps would be regimented in structure, ceremonious, official, and formal, but it may not have pulsed and reverberated with human impulse, with human emotion, with human fears and hopes, with loves and as- with love and aspiration. And precisely for this reason, Chazal sculpted tefillah on the alternative model of Avos. Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov were human beings who prayed from different vantage points, who daven from, with different, from different emotional contexts. Avram's tefillah was different from Yitzchak's, and his tefillah, Yitzchak's, was different from Yaakov's. Mirza next week will describe the different stages of their tefillah, the different emotions, the different models and templates of tefillah which each of them instituted. But the common denominator was that their tefillahs were different. That their tefillahs were a barometer of their emotional religious state. And Chazal desire this emotional investment, this emotional infusion. Cannot break the structure. Emotion has to be captured within structure. Shouldn't it be stifled and suffocated, but it must be incorporated within a structure that is maintained, that is preserved, so that the sanctity and the purity of the experience is sustained. But it is underwritten by a wild, 
ferocious emotional world, different states of mind which a human being undergoes. And tefillah is the natural outlet for the human heart, for the human soul. To daven is to be human. To speak to God is to be a religious human. The first Mishnah in Bhavakama mentions various forms of damage which a person is accountable for. One of the words mentioned in the Mishnah is the word Mave. There's a debate between Rav and Shmuel as to the exact identity of Mave. According to Rav, Mave refers to damages which a person commits. Mave Adam, the Gemara in Bhavakama suggests. Why is Mave Adam? Mave refers to the act of speaking. According to Rashi and Bhavakama, not just the act of speaking, but the act of requesting in Tebayun Bayun. To speak is an affirmation of the human experience. Nefesh Tzelem Elokim, the divine image, is interpreted by Unkelos to refer to Nefesh Mimalala, speaking cognitively articulate human being. Praying, channeling cognition and speech towards facilitating an encounter between HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is the deepest and most intense affirmation of the religious experience. That encounter, that experience, of course should be fueled and animated by the emotional inner world of an Oved Hashem. And Tfilos Keneged Avos ensures that there is a role and there is a function for human emotion and for human expression and for personalized Tfilah. As long as that spontaneous eruption of the human heart is firmly, firmly pitched within this classic and conventional constraints of tefillah and of korbanos. You've been listening to Rav Moshe Tarragon, the weekly shir on essentials of Avodat Hashem. Today's halacha yomit. Yesterday we spoke about Yehuda Ratzonim Refi at the end of davening which Allah Lamaisa, the Mishnah Bura, and many, many other poskim say that you should basically say twice, once immediately after the Bacha of Hamvarech et Amo Yisrael Bashalom, which is its proper place because it's part of Shemon it's the conclusion of Shemon and therefore it should be right after the Bacha. And it's also permitted and even recommended to say it again after Elokai Nitzah, before you finish, before saying Oseh Shalom and Muramav, what is Elokai Nitzah? The Gemara speaks of Tachanunim Shalachah HaTefilah, of petition, requests that one makes after Tefilah, after davening. And there is no set text. In fact, in the Gemara, there is a long section which quotes the different Tefilot that were said by many, many different Chachamim. One of which is Elokai Nitzah, found in our Sidurim, but there are at least seven or eight others. I think the point the Gemara is making is that every Chacham, every Rav said a different tefillah. And it's called halachically Tachanunim Shacharat Fila. A person, it's voluntary, a person may utilize this position, his standing before God, to add a somewhat more personal request, a somewhat more personal prayer. The Gemara states, the Gemara Brachot states, that if one has to go back in Shemun one's forgotten a part of Shemun Esrei, which is necessary, for instance, Ya'alevi Yavon Oshchodesh, or V'tein Talumatale V'racha, during the winter. So if you're still in the middle of Shemun you can go back, for Sefi Yavon to it, say, or 
בברכת השנים for מתאים תלמוד הלבחה. But if you already finish one essay, then you have to say the whole thing again, to go back to the very, very beginning. The Gemara states that if you're saying if you're saying in other words, even though technically you finish Manesrei, the, the mandatory part of Manesrei, but if you're still saying then you can go back to the place where you made the mistake. So that's an important halachic napkamina of Elokainitza. We pass like the Ramah that as long as you haven't broken your stance, you haven't taken the three steps backwards, you may go back to for instance, on Rosh Chodesh to Ritzay, to say the Yalabi Yobah that you forgot, you don't have to go back to the beginning of the Tefillah. Many Poskim wrote that, let's say, as I mentioned yesterday, let's say you're saying Elokai Nitzor, and the Chazan has started repeating Shemun and he's gotten up to Kedusha. So based on the Tshuva, the Rashba, they hold that you can answer Kedusha even though you could not answer Kedusha in the middle of Shemun Esrei, but this is not the middle of Shemun Esrei. And as I mentioned yesterday, you should say Yudha Ratzon first, because that is part of Shemun Esrei. But after you've said Yudha Ratzon, you can answer Kedusha in the middle of Elokai Nitzah. Many poets can add that if that is true, but if you also have to go back to say Yalev Yavbo that you missed, then you shouldn't answer Kedusha. Why? Apparently the logic is as follows. If you're going to answer Kedusha, it's because it's really, you're you, you ending Shemun Esrei. This part, you don't have to say it. So you can answer Kedusha. Kedusha, of course, is a hefsik. But you're allowed to be mafsik because you're being mafsik. You're interrupting and ending. And it's okay to end Shemun Esrei now because you didn't have to say it at all. But since you're ending Shemun Esrei now, you then can't go back to say for Yavah Yavah because you finished Shemun Esrei. I mean, finish Shemun Esrei, you have to go back to the beginning. Since to repeat the whole Shemun Esrei unnecessarily is really improper. Therefore, one should not answer Kedusha. Therefore, leaving yourself still in the middle of Shemun Esrei. How is it the middle of Shemun Esrei? You artificially lengthen Shemun Esrei. Therefore, you're in the middle. Since you're in the middle, you can go back to Ritzay. Is that Psak correct? And Moshe Feinstein, in a true, but doesn't mention these Achorim, he simply assumes that it's not true. He says you can answer Kedusha. And then you go back to Ritzay and say Yalbi Yabo. And I think the logic is, the question is, what is the exact status of saying Elokai Nitzah? There are two possibilities. One is that one may artificially lengthen Shemun Esri. And that is the reason why if you're still saying Elokai Nitzah and you remember that you forgot Yalbi Yabo, you can go back to Ritzay because you're still in the middle. You, you've lengthened Shemun Esri, therefore you're in the middle of Shemun Esri. But if you're in the middle of Shemun you shouldn't be Mavsik. So why can you be mafsik? Because just as you artificially lengthen Shemun Esrei, you can artificially or or by force end Shemun Esrei at this point, since you don't have to say it. Having ended Shemun Esrei, you cannot go back to say all the other, therefore it's better not to end Shemun Esrei at all. But there's another possibility. The Shubh of the Rashba that's all based on seems to say as follows. He says, even though the Gemara says you can go back to saying with say, you can still answer Kedusha. I think what it sounds like he's saying is that it's an in-between status. Yudha Ratzon is an integral part of Shemun Esrei. Elokai is after Shemun Esrei. The, the, the text, the, the, the title is Tachanunim Shel Achar HaTfilah. Petition that is after Davening, after Shemun Esrei. However, 
you're still considered to be standing in the presence of God. It's an intermediary state. It's not part of the tefillah, not part of the brachot. But you're still standing before God. And the lachat that says, you can go back to what it says, says that since you haven't left your audience with God, you don't have to start from Monesri again. You can go back into the middle. But you have really finished Monesri, and you'll be then going back to the middle. Since you finished Monesri, it's okay to say Ketusha. It's not a Hefzik. It's not a Hefzik in the standing before God. Ketusha is not antithetical to standing before God. It is antithetical towards the Bechot of Monesri. So therefore, I'm assuming this is the reason of Moshe Feinstein says, one can both answer Kedusha, because it's not a Hefzik, but even so, you can go back to the middle of Shemon Esrei to pick up wherever you left off, whatever you missed, because so long as you are still standing in the presence of God, you can you can uh, go back to the middle of Shemon Esrei, and you don't have to say the whole thing over again. So this is a dispute among the among the poskim. So I repeated many poskim say one shouldn't do that. Uh, I saw this true of Moshe Feinstein, and I think the explanation is what I said. Basically, we've learned now is two opinions on what are the tachanunim lacharat what is Elokai Nitzah. Is it an extension of Shemun itself, or is it an opportunity, having finished the formal tefillah, which is called Shemun there is an informal possibility of speaking to God. It's an appendage to Shemun but not literally part of it. Again, it's basically, halachically, there's not of a fixed text. And therefore, Halacha says that one may add any tefillah one wants at this point. So we shouldn't get too, too, uh, hooked, too hung up on saying exactly, Elokai Nitzel Shani Mira, which is a very, very beautiful tefillah in and of itself. But it is an opportunity, it's something which you wanted to add, perhaps didn't add in the Bachot of Shmanesrei, or something which you didn't want to add, it doesn't really fit into any Bacha, but it's an opportunity to request, to speak to God on a personal level, and and to communicate with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and ask Him for what your heart for what your heart requires. That's it for today. You've been listening to the Shir of Avav Tarigan on Essentials in Vadat Hashem and by Halachai Yomit. You've been listening to KMTT, the Torah Podcast. Bebekat HaTorah Mitzion Ve'etzion Ki Mitzion Teitzei Torah Udvar Hashem Mirushalayim.